Global stocks are starting the week down again, thanks to high bond yields and plenty of nerves about the Middle East. That's coming up in our five things in five minutes. And then in our bonus deep dive interview, we find out from Andre Castain why New Zealand now has a trade deficit of 3.5% of GDP. We've reached peak cow in New Zealand. We've got a inability to continually produce much more agricultural products due to environmental constraints. But first, in 5 and 5 with ANZ, number one, global stocks finished last week sharply lower on fears about higher yields making bonds more attractive than stocks. And on worry, the Israel-Hamas war might widen over the weekend. It hasn't so far, as of 5am Australian time on Monday. The S&P 500 closed down 1.3% on Saturday morning, and the Nasdaq ended down 1.5%. This was after the 10-year bond yield briefly touched 5% late on Thursday. In the end, the 10-year closed lower at 4.91%. All of these moves, higher in US interest rates and these global tensions, made the US dollar more attractive. The Aussie dollar is opening this morning at 63.20 US cents. Now that's off its Friday high in Asian trade of 63.50 US cents. The Kiwi dollar, it's opening at 58.26 cents. Number two, one of the big movers in late Friday trade was the yen, which briefly touched 150 to the dollar. Now, that's seen as a red line for intervention by Japanese authorities. The currency jumped sharply after momentarily touching that 150 handle, but eventually sagged back down to 149.85 yen to the dollar. ANZ's head of FX strategy, Majibin Saman, says the Bank of Japan may tolerate the yen being down near 150, unlike last year when it intervened after the spike in fuel costs when Russia invaded Ukraine. The bigger question is what energy prices do. Now, if we think back, you know, to last year, it was really that negative terms of trade shock, uh, you know, rising import costs on the back of high energy prices, which was really impacting households. If energy prices continue to remain elevated or move higher from here, I think that the risks of intervention are going to be much higher. Number three. But there was one area the Bank of Japan did intervene on Friday in 10-year Japanese government bonds. JGBs. It intervened to buy bonds for the fifth time this month after the 10-year JGB opened on Friday at 0.8450%, its highest level since July 2013. The intervention worked to shunt it down to close on Friday at 0.836%. This again begs the question about when the Bank of Japan might tweak its so-called yield curve control program. Here's Marjapin again. We think that at some point, uh, yes, the Bank of Japan will abandon their yield curve control. Uh, but again, the, the bigger question is whether uh, they will exit negative rates, uh, interest rate policy. We don't think uh, that may happen any time in the near term. And the reason for that really is that when I look at you know inflation, it looks to be moderating. When I look at wages, they're actually still very much negative, minus 2.5%. So until you see you know real wages uh, sort of uh, turn into that positive zone, I don't see any significant reason or drive for the BOJ to think about moving into a positive rate uh, environment. 
Number four. Now, one reason U.S. bond yields have risen so much in recent months is growing concern about the size of the U.S. budget deficit. And on Saturday, the U.S. government reported a $1.695 trillion, trillion with a T, deficit in the year to June 30, 2023. Here's ANZ's Group Chief Economist, Richard Yetzinger. The U.S. fiscal stance is absolutely a focus for market commentary. It's hard to walk away from the idea that that's contributing something to what's going on in bond markets. Certainly the behaviour of the curve, where it's becoming less flat, um, it's still inverted, but certainly less flat is is also consistent with that story. I hope it's sending a bit of a signal to US fiscal policymakers. Number five. Looking ahead this week, Richard will be watching Australian inflation data due on Wednesday. We had a surprise hike from Bank Indonesia last week, not necessarily what everyone thinks of as a mainstream central bank, but does highlight this kind of cautious on-hold stance that central banks have. Um, They want to be on hold, they'd like to be on hold, but the data is not always giving them exactly enough to keep them on hold. The Reserve Bank, perhaps most recently, Reserve Bank of Australia, shifting to the, I guess, edge of the neutral sphere, um, and will the CPI be be enough to tip them over into um, delivering a hike or, you know, my hope the CPIs shows enough moderation actually it keeps them on hold even as they remain still quite watchful. Richard Yetzinger there. In today's bonus deep dive interview, my colleague Catherine Dyer spoke to ANZ economist Andre Castain about New Zealand's trade deficit, which is running at 3.5% of GDP. Some of that is problems that we would expect to go away. So things like the reopening of the border, meaning that international visitors are able to return to New Zealand. It's also stuff like New Zealanders tend to import a whole lot more goods when they've got more money to spend in an overheated economy. So monetary policy will help solve that. However, there's also some underlying structural problems in our trade balance. We've reached peak cow in New Zealand. We've got a inability to continually produce much more agricultural products due to environmental constraints. And we've also got factors leaning against the amount of demand we have for those products, in particular a China economy that is unlikely to continue to grow at the pace that it did over the last decade. And so that means that New Zealand needs to be able to find new ways in order to be able to grow its trade balance, return to our historical sort of one percentage point of GDP positive trade balance. And that's going to be more difficult than it has been in previous decades. What would happen if New Zealand was unable to get it quickly under control? If we can't get our trade balance under control quickly, there runs a risk that external financial markets will force that on us. That could either come through a lower exchange rate than otherwise or higher interest rates over a longer period of time. All else equal, either of those options would result in New Zealanders having a worse standard of living. It would mean that everything that we import, think cars, think rice, think electronics, would all be more expensive for the average New Zealander to purchase if we can't return our trade balance to something that's able to service our debts to the world. Because one way or another, the world will make sure that we're in a position to be able to do that. And if we choose to do it in a good way, such as growing exports, that's great and otherwise they'll do it through eroding our standard of living. One of the um, structural uh, issues that you were talking about was to do with food exports over the long term and some of the different things affecting 
affecting that. I wondered if you could talk to that a little bit more. New Zealand's in a really fortunate position that we have a great environment and the ability to create high quality foodstuffs, both meat, dairy, that sort of thing. However, that's going to come under some difficulties over the next wee while in terms of environmental constraints. New Zealand is always going to be in a position where we're able to produce those foodstuffs and it's likely there's going to be demand for them, but we're also likely to see increased competition from synthetics, things, things like Beyond Meat, which have the potential to be at a lower price point than some of the cheaper cuts that we currently export uh, overseas. All our sequel, that competitive pressure will make it a bit harder for us to be able to grow export volumes. However, that's a couple of decades away sort of concern. It's not necessarily something that's happening right here, right now. Is there much opportunity, do you think, to diversify our food exports, both in terms of um, the countries that we sell to and the types of uh, food exports that we manufacture? New Zealand farms historically have sold to wherever they can get the highest price. Recently, that's been out of China as China's middle class has grown. However, that is undergoing some pressure at the moment. And we may see that we sell more meat and dairy and that sort of thing into new markets. Andreas Costain there. I'm Bernard Hickey. That was 5 and 5 with ANZ for Monday, October the 23rd. Catch you tomorrow with a full preview of Australian inflation data due on Wednesday. This podcast contains general information only, not investment advice. You should obtain advice for your personal circumstances before making any investment decisions. Please view the podcast disclaimer available via your media player or email.